Welcome to On the Prowl. Hi everybody, welcome to On the Prowl. I'm Robert Roden. And I'm Remy Johnson. Thank you for listening to us today. Today on this episode of On the Prowl, we have Memphis Grizzlies radio play-by-play announcer Eric Hasselton with us. <laughs> What's Thank up, you. guys? How are you? Good, how are you? How are you? Doing good. Just kind of, I think, every, like everybody else, just kind of riding this craziness out, you know? What all have you been doing during this quarantine? Uh, basically teaching second grade to my son. <laughs> That's pretty <laughs> much it. And then hanging out around the house as, as best we can. And now that some of the some of the boundaries are being lifted, been, you know, my my girlfriend goes back to work a little bit, so uh, just been spending time with her and spending time with uh, with my son and just kind of catching up on old TV shows and all that stuff. It yeah. really for us, I don't think was that. It, it really, I mean, it stinks because you can't go do the things that normal life were we were doing. Right. Um, but it's obviously, you know, it was necessary. But for us, we had almost played a full season, so yeah, true. I, I miss it, and I I wanted to see where we would have ended up, whether in the playoffs or not, but. 65 games is just about a, a full year. So it's just, yeah. and now two months later after, you know, we left about two months ago from today from when we were in Portland and had to fly home the next day. So this would be about mid June right now compared to if we had gone through the regular season. So we'd be looking at the draft and I, this is where I start to get an itch of wanting to go back to work, but yeah. we would have summer league coming up in two or three weeks. So I had something to look forward to. Now we're just all kind of waiting for, what the league's going to decide to do. Commissioner Silver talked to some of the players yeah. um, the other day and, and basically said that, hey, we're, we're in no rush to make a decision and probably won't have one in place until June. Until June, so, yeah, I saw that. You just have to be patient. You know, this is true. something our country's never seen. It's it's obviously very serious. It's, it's much more serious in certain parts of the country than others in terms of all the things going on, but it doesn't mean that it's not serious everywhere. So, uh, yeah. you know, we, it's better to err on the side of caution with this than, than try to race back into what I think everybody needs is our outlets, whether it's sports or, you know, it's for some people, it's the theater or movies or, you know, live performances, whatever it may be, music. But, right. you know, right now we've got to make sure everybody's safe and that this doesn't get worse rather than get better. That's true. Have you been watching Grizz Rewind? Um, I do occasionally. Uh, I, I tend to find myself trying to trying to entertain an eight-year-old and so I, <laughs> I i do watch when i can i, I live tweeted uh from one of the games earlier this year the tony parker retirement uh, game yeah. in, in san antonio in november that the grizzlies really uh were struggling going into that game and came out and played an amazing first quarter uh struggled a little bit in the second quarter and then the, the crazy finish where it looked like jaron jackson had kind of sealed the game with a three and then they reviewed it and he stepped out of bounds yeah. before he caught the ball so he was technically out of bounds and then they went down and demar DeRose and misses the free throw. It was just all these crazy plays. And I remember uh, sitting up in the broadcast table, uh, which is kind of over the Grizzlies bench. It's kind of tucked in the left corner in, in San Antonio and just thinking mm-hmm. of all the years we've come here and not had a chance to win. Now we have a chance to win. And it seems like yeah. all these little things are going to prevent that from happening. And yet oh, in the end, that. they came away with the win. And, and really, I thought that that sparked what was about to become the turnaround, especially after that and then Ja got hurt when he came back they, they played such great basketball in middle of December all the way through January so it's that's why when a lot of people ask you know what I think should happen it, it's hard not to say that you know 
we should just start the playoffs because of where the season is and, you know, exposing teams to, in my opinion, of course. Um, but I also feel like, you know, the teams I, I get, there's 16, 17 games left, but the Grizzlies earned the right to be in that eight spot right now. I, I agree. Won't handed that to them. You know, they, they, they had one of the best records in the league um, in the month of January. T- Taylor Jenkins won coach of the month and, they played terrific basketball. They've, they've stumbled a couple of times, as young teams will do. But, um, you know, I, I understand that injuries are part of it. But 65 games in, as I told people, if everybody had 17 games left and we have a three- or four-game lead, if the Grizzlies go eight and nine, you'd have to win 12 of your 17 games. Yeah. Your record tells you that's not what you're doing right now. But that's true. I, I do prefer fairness over it, too. So we'll see what they try to come up with that, that works for everybody at some point. Wasn't the lockout year, wasn't that like 65, 66 games as well? 66, so, that's exactly yeah. right. That's what I, and I use that as the example. And, you know, that was a obviously very different because that was a player owner dispute yeah. that, that yeah. needed to be settled. And in the end, those situations generally, you know, the, the, the owners are going to come out on top because right. they, they hold, you know, they're taking the risk with these franchises and they have the money. The players certainly are the entertainment in the league, but, um, you know, it, it, it's it's hard for a player to not fight for their fair value. So it was tough for all of us, but because a lot of people behind the scenes because of that weren't working and that that really hurt some people. So yeah, uh, it was a crazy time for me. And my son was born uh, on the night of one of the preseason games and he was born on December 16th. We played the Hornets that night, then the Hornets, now the Pelicans. Right. And right. Uh, it's one of the few games I've ever missed, and I didn't mind missing a preseason game, but I remember we started the day after Christmas in San Antonio, and I sat right next to Michelle Beadle, uh, who from ESPN, who was there because her family's from there, and I was just like, this is just surreal that opening night is, uh, you know, it, almost at the end of the calendar year, but I, I would never want to go back through that again either, because that yeah. was a crazy time where we had one, everybody had a set of back-to-back-to-back games, so you played three games in three nights, and just really hard on the guys to squeeze that many games into such a short amount of time it's this is completely different from that and you know it's uh it's it's a tough deal for everybody involved i know everybody you just look at what happened the other night with the ufc fight finally going live saturday night and they have another one wednesday and then another one this saturday coming up and the numbers are off the charts the numbers are off the charts for the the you know the the last dance and that's yeah. partially because everybody's fascinated with Michael Jordan and rightfully so I was fortunate to grow up watching him but also because we have nothing else yeah we have Everybody nothing else as sports it. fans that's diverting I mean they're playing Korean baseball on at four o'clock in the morning and I, I know that. guys getting up to watch it because they're baseball fans they have yeah. no idea yeah. who the players are and right now I don't think they care that's true everybody needs their own fix on on their own thing like you were saying earlier so what first got you into play-by-play announcing that's a good question. Um, I believe it or not, I, I did it in high school a little bit. Um, I always had an interest in it. I, I thought when I was younger, I wanted to get into sports broadcasting. In fact, I remember putting that down and I would get once a month, I would get a letter from USC and, and you know, basically saying, Hey, if you're interested in this, we have a good program. We joke about it in California with USC. If your parents can afford to send you there, they'll find a way to get you in. The USC yeah. wants students. I went to a high school that's pretty famous around the country uh, named called De La Salle in Concord. They had the nation's longest win streak in high school football. Um, I was there when both Brent and Drew Barry were there. John Barry graduated 
um, the year before I got there. It was just a, there was a lot of athletes there and I wanted to play sports all through high school. I did play some, but I could have gone to a public school and played, but these guys were the best of the best. You know, our, our football team didn't lose ever. Sure. Our basketball team was constantly in the sectional semifinals or finals. Our baseball team was always in the sectional semifinals or finals. We were good at everything. So as that happened, and I, I loved playing basketball, and I'm not tall now, but I was I didn't grow really uh, to this size until my freshman year of college. I, I wasn't good enough to be on our basketball team. I was I was decent, but not good enough to play. So I wanted to get into the business. We had a TV station at our high school, and we used to borrow cameras from St. Mary's College and film the games, and then put them on like public access channels. And so my senior year, they the the director of the TV station selected me to do it. I did one game and then St. Mary's needed their cameras back. So it was a short lived beginning, but I fell in love with it. And uh, when I went to college, I, uh, I started at a school in Southern California, which was called UC Riverside, about 40 miles east of LA. Okay. One of the guys that was in orientation with uh, after my sophomore year came up to me and said, Hey, I'm going to do a sports talk show on the right, campus right. station. Do you want to, do you want to be part of it? And I said, well, I'd love to accept I'm transferring. I, so I was transferring you. to closer to home to UC Davis, which is outside Sacramento. And a lot of friends that went there, I, I felt like I was missing out on a college experience at Riverside. It just was a big commuter school. And yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't enjoy it as much as I wanted to. And I had a place to go where I already knew a good group of people from going to high school with them and new people that went there. So I, I switched. And when I did, I was really lucky that I was working in the intramural department there as a supervisor. One of my fellow supervisors was on the radio and yeah. I said, Hey, if you ever need somebody, let me know. And he called me the guy that knows baseball. I said, I got you and walked in, started doing a talk show with them. And we kept the show alive during the summer sports show. So I did the talk show for another year. And the following year when they, yeah, they hired the, the next I play guys. So I went home and I looked in the mirror and I said, you're hired. So I, I hired myself and I was terrible. I was just awful. My first game, it was a, we had a really good division two football team and we were on a commercial station in Sacramento and we were on our campus station. I was just dreadful. And I walked out and the guy that was doing the commercial games is a, not much older than me, but it, I just think that probably was the worst sports broadcast in history. And he says, first of all, you're probably too hard on yourself. Second of all, why do you care? And I looked at him, I kind of took notes and I said, okay. And so I went home and I, I didn't realize, no one had ever told me about how much preparation needs to go into the games, especially football games because there's so many players. And so I prepped and two weeks later, we had a home game, ironically against St. Mary's and uh, the athletic director, the assistant athletic director would kind of oversaw the student radio. Nicest guy, but one of the nicest guys I've ever been around. And we all called him Uncle Larry. But, but you also knew Larry and I was kind of sequestered uh, away from the indoor side of the booth where the student station was, where we could plug our equipment in and right. do our broadcast. And he came in and he said, hey, uh, at halftime, do you have a minute? I need to talk to you about something. And I was like, oh, what did I do? Like, what happened? And I was wondering what he was. And he came in and he looked at me and he said, hey, uh, what's going on? I said, well, I just talked to like six of our biggest boosters and they've switched from the commercial station to listen to you. And one of them thinks like you're the next superstar in this industry. I was like, well, I don't know about that. And he goes, well, whatever you're doing, keep it up. So I fell in love with it. And uh, I was able to do the basketball games for the men's team. I hired a friend of mine to do the women's games. And I did that 
football for three years for the campus station. Even though I had graduated, I did an extra year. The, the next two sports directors who just wanted to do women's basketball, believe it or not. So they kept me for men's and men's basketball and football the second year and the third year because it was D2 does it a little different. They played on Fridays and Saturday nights. He played the weekends or Saturday and Sunday. And it was a weekend and I was bartending and I was out of college and you're giving up two prime shifts. So I, I said, Hey, I think I'm going to take basketball off this year and figure out where I'm going. I was trying to find a full-time radio job. Right, and of right, course right. the team wins the national championship that year. And so we had a good laugh at my expense at that. Fell in love with it. And because through that, I, a couple of the guys that had worked with me there went on to uh, the commercial station, the character and the guys there. And it just, it was all kind of a right place, right time. Thing. Yeah. So the, the play-by-play career started, thankfully, with just knowing someone in college to give you a very long answer to the question. Yeah, you're good, man. Like you are you saying, like connections are, are key, especially in an industry like this. Oh, so, yeah. So being from Sacramento yourself, how would you say your days were with the Kings? I'm, I'm guessing you like grew up as like with, with the yeah, Kings. Yeah, I actually, I grew up okay, in the Bay yeah. Area. So I was a, I was oh, a okay, Golden State okay. fan for a long time. My dad and I had season tickets to the Warriors when it was, uh, they were called Run TMC with Tim oh, Hardaway yeah. and Mitch Richmond and Chris Mullen. Chris Mullen, yeah. And it was funny because back then the scoring was so much higher. Take whatever reason why, just teams just played okay. up and down. And the Warriors were one of the, the fastest teams in the league. They had Don Nelson as their coach. Yeah. You know, to put it in perspective now, like you score 100 points, you get three tacos or chicken sandwiches or whatever. <laughs> you, depends on where you are. The Warriors had to score 120 and they had to win and we got free pizza. Well, my dad wasn't going to eat it, so I'd get two of those. I, the people, it's mm-hmm. a chain out there. Well, the people at Roundtable Pizza got to know me by face because after every game I'd bring in, two, I'd bring a buddy and we'd go get a personal pizza there. It was one right down the street from our high school. So, um it was a blast watching those guys play, and uh, they were a great team. They just weren't ever quite good enough to go all the way, but they were a lot of fun to watch. And Chris Mullen had the smoothest left-handed jump shot I'd ever seen. But my favorite player was Michael Jordan, so my dad always just made sure that we had tickets to the Bulls game, and he yeah. put up tickets. He'd get 11 games. He went to every game, but I just couldn't do that and be a high school so I was playing baseball and working, so it just wasn't enough time in the day. Um but it was great. So I grew up with them. And then when I was in Sacramento, I was watching that Kings team. I was still rooting for the Warriors, but both teams for a long time just stunk out loud. Yeah. And I got very, very lucky when that station in Sacramento decided to give me a job. And it was, again, through just right place, right time. I was doing go. a talk show, still at the college station. My One of my partners tragically uh got brain cancer he was a very uh-huh. good friend of mine he was too, hear far, far too young to get that and far too young to pass away but he couldn't do the show so one of the guys one of the things i was doing at the station for the kings i was just sitting in a room listening to other broad the kings mm-hmm. post game show and i did it for nothing but i got to hear all the guys in the nbc guys called games while i was cutting their highlights because you're listening to the game taping it and then when a highlight comes mm-hmm. you cut it off at that time, they picked me right after that is when the Kings got Chris Weber in a trade for yeah. Mitch Richmond. They signed us and they drafted Jason Williams and they had Corliss Williamson and they went from Rick Allen was the coach. They went from a team that couldn't win in 30 games to they were the most yeah. exciting team in the league. And that was the first lockout that we went through. That was a 50 game year. And so we were all nervous to see what happened. They made the playoffs that year and lost to Utah because they just they didn't have the same experience that Utah right. did. And that was Malone and were unbelievable. And Peja Stoyakovich was still really young. And then so I working there fortunate because the three years they got better each year 
and they were the most exciting team to watch. They were always on TV, and I got to know these guys. It was funny when the Grizzlies moved, and I, I took the job here mm-hmm. in 2001. That's the year they traded oh, yeah. Jason Williams to the, to the Grizzlies. So I showed up at the first open practice, and he and I were, I wouldn't say like buddy-buddy, but we were friends. We had golfed together a few times. We had a mutual friend, so we had spent quite a few days in the summer together, and he looked at me, and he just said, what are you doing here? And I was like, <laughs> well, they, they threw me into the trade with you, and so it was good to have a familiar face. And, yeah. Uh, that year, the Kings went to the Western Conference Finals. Law. I went to Game Seven. They lost to the Lakers. They big old what if? Yeah, they were sixteen of thirty from the foul line, and I, I'd give Peja Stoyan every day yeah. of the week back then. And he shot it about four feet over the basket. Doug Christie missed a wide open three that he normally made and missed it badly and slip away. And it was the most wild scene I had ever been a part of in the beginning and then it was the quietest building you'd ever heard oh, wow. when they lost because Kings fans refused to sell tickets to Laker fans there were a handful of them but they hated them so it was fun it was fun to kind of learn things there but then being yeah. in Memphis I was really excited to be here that's too good. so how hard is it to announce like every player or everything that's happening in the game for the radio it's not because I, I've been around the game now as I said I grew up going to games with my dad I used yeah. to watch the NBA on CBS back in the mid eighties when it was, there were two games every Sunday and one of them usually had the Lakers and the other one had the Celtics or the six, sometimes all of them. So I grew up watching. And like, like I said, as a kid, I would goof around and tape record fake games. And I would play one-on-one and whoever was sitting out waiting for winter, like called play by play. We were just goofing around as kids. We didn't, we didn't with our cell phones yeah. or things like that. We had, uh, you know, video games, but after about 35, 40 minutes, we wanted to go outside yeah. and play. And so um, I learned even back then, you know, how the game moves. So you're kind of always looking for one thing ahead. I think the biggest mistake some young announcers make is they try to call every single thing. You just, you can't. You can leave some things out that don't really, they don't make a broadcast any better or by leaving them out, make them any worse. So I just have been able to follow it all my life. Ever since I was a little kid with my father watching sports, sit on the couch with him. And um, that's where I developed a passion for it. So it's it's not that tough. I think the hardest thing is, you know, we'll prepare for a game. I have charts that I have there. And I generally, you know, everybody, but inevitably there's a guy that was an undrafted free agent that came from somewhere that you didn't see play college. And he walks out on the court and that's where you go, okay, who is that guy? And you got to wait to see a jersey number or whatever it may be. But even yeah. then, it's it's easy. And the, the thing about prepping is you're really prepping for the opponent because I've watched every Grizzlies game. So I know how they're playing. I know who's playing well. I know who's struggling. I've been with them. I'm, I'm on the road with them on the team planes and buses at the morning practices. And, you know, I, I talk to the coaches. They they give me the, the stuff. It's, it's really once you have an idea of – how your team's playing it's kind of the game just kind of dictates itself so it's harder to call faster paced games which is now now the grizzlies are doing yeah. like the first month both pete pranica and i talked about it uh, on a trip i was just like this is i i just i think i just point blank asked him i said are you like out of breath at the end of the night like i am and he's like yeah because we've been since pete got there in 2004 2005 when we opened the the FedEx Forum and I was there that's in 2005 is when I took over after Don passed away mm-hmm. um, we've played slow down basketball yeah Mike Fratello Mark Ivoroni the only guy that didn't was when coach Fratello was relieved of his duties and Tony Baroni um, took over and he just let the young guys go play mm-hmm. uh, but after that Ivoroni slowed down Lionel slowed down 
Dave Yeager slowed down, David Fisdale slowed down, J.B. Bickerstaff slowed down. So this whole pace and space Taylor Jenkins system, I was like, it's fun. It's a blast, but like it, it took a minute to get used to. So yeah. I love it. I mean, it's, it's, you guys are, you guys are obviously basketball fans because you wouldn't be doing this if you weren't. And so I'm sure when you see it, you can kind of see things develop too, when you watch enough of it, it helps knowing your team's plays and knowing what they're running. And so I cheat a little bit when I go do my interview with, with Taylor Jenkins, there's always a whiteboard of things that they want to run. So I have an idea of what plays they're going to call that night or what they think is going to happen on the other side. Yeah. I have a pretty good memory for that stuff. So when I see it start to happen, I, I, I know where it's, where it's going to go. Yeah. Speaking of this young Grizzlies team, we definitely exceeded expectations. Like a lot of people at the beginning of the year were probably putting us at like 25, 30 wins. I saw yeah. Me included, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so how happy would you say you are with this team? Ecstatic. Because it's not, it, this isn't a flash. This isn't a one and done that this was some fluke of a year that all of a sudden they caught a, a lucky break and they won games that they shouldn't yeah, and it's going to be gone. Sure. The front office has done a remarkable job of rebuilding it. They obviously Let's... got very lucky with the number two overall pick, and they, but they used it wisely because For they sure. could have selected somebody else, but they knew right away who they wanted. And so I, I'm ecstatic about it. it. You know, for me, this was my... 19th season with the team um you know I'm, I'm pushing towards 50 now and uh you know i was starting to think about when when is my time going to be to to step away i've had some other business ventures come my way i'm doing okay with those and and starting to think that uh you know maybe i had three or four years left if it was going to continue to be a struggle if it was going to continue to be something that the fans weren't going to be interested in. I didn't know how much I wanted to be a part of it. I still loved what I did, but it'd be hard for me to go anywhere else. And it would be hard to see what was built kind of come tumbling down if they didn't do the, make the right moves, but thankfully they did. Yeah. And it rejuvenated me. And I, I, I was fortunate enough to have an opportunity to do my own talk show for years, but I think walking away from it when I did, and this being the year where I walked away from it kind of revitalized me. So now I'm I'm sitting back going, yeah, I, I've got a good another decade or 15 years left in me doing this and, and want to watch this team grow and, yeah. and see where they can go. Because they have the pieces, in my opinion, to really put themselves in a position to, to be one of the better teams in the West as they get valuable experience. And the trade deadline move to get Justice Winslow, who's yeah. also yeah. young, adds another piece and then and we hadn't even seen him play yet that was the unfortunate thing yeah. for our group going through this was justice was going to come back and i was going to be on that trip that we were starting yeah the day this all you know we were in portland the night before it all happened supposed to play that next thursday night and the wednesday night was when rudy gobert tested positive and they pulled the jazz and thunder off the court and you know i was i was bummed i was really bummed for justice because he had worked really hard to get his body ready to come back and yeah but you know the the rugs pulled out from underneath you jaron was coming back brandon was mm -hmm. close to coming back and we were going to get to see that group towards the tail end of the season so yeah um I love the moves they made. Ja Morant is a, a special player. Oh, Jaron yeah. has the potential to be and, and is a Jaron's a very good. He's a special player too because of the things he can do. You add in complementary pieces that are really good players like Brandon Clark, like Dylan Brooks, like Jonas Valanciunas, and now with Justice Winslow. And you add a couple more pieces here and yeah. there. They've got some youth. They've got a chance to be good. They got a chance to be really, really good. And the league's taking notice. You know, that's the thing that's fun because 
everywhere we went, you know, whether it be other general managers that I'm familiar with or, or staff of, of other teams or other radio announcers or scouts, everybody would say the same thing. It's like, and you guys are on the right track. You guys are fun. This is a great group. This coaching staff is doing a great job. And, you know, that's a testament to Zach Kleiman and, and his staff, Rich Cho, Glenn Grunwald, Sean Prince. You know, the thing that impresses me most about Zach is brilliant. Yeah. He's an absolutely brilliant man. Um, he's young, but he's so smart that he knows he doesn't know everything with him that can they can work together. And, you know, he, people didn't realize what Zach had done before coming to Memphis. Like people just kind of thought he was a New York attorney. He'd interned with the Lakers. He had been with the Chicago Bulls. He had been around other franchises and he relied on that experience. And I, I, I'm, I've told him face to face and I'll say the same thing to you guys. I've been incredibly impressed with the job they've done. Tayshawn Prince is a unbelievable asset up there. I, I think Tayshawn's really, really good at what he does. Rich yeah. Cho's very good at, at the analytical side of things and balancing that with Tayshawn's basketball knowledge and Glenn Grunwald having been around the, the NBA for as many years. That's a really good front office. So agree. the moves they've made have been savvy. They've taken a, a situation that really was, you were like, where's, where are you going to get this ray of hope? And obviously it came with a, a fortunate night about a year ago, right now when they got the number two pick. But then again, yeah. they also made the right moves. They've, they've made all the right moves. They made the trade to get Brandon Clark. They kept Jonas Valanciunas. They brought in veterans through those trades and, you know, even though we sent off Jay Crowder and Solomon Hill, those guys were brought in to kind of oversee the locker room in the beginning of the year. And it wouldn't surprise me if they make a run down the road to bring one or two of those guys back as free agent signings on, on smaller deals. The simple fact was both were signed to high dollar amounts. So teams were willing to trade them to get open roster spots. And we needed that experience. And, yeah. you know, Jay was great. He, he was as, you know, everybody was kind of on his case about not making threes the way he normally did. Nobody wanted to do it more than Jay. Like I, I talked to Jay Crowder on a daily basis when he was around because he was so easy to, to, to chat with mm -hmm. and just, he, you could see the frustration, but what he didn't go on the court, which was, he was giving everything he had. It just wasn't, for some reason, it just didn't go. When he went down to Miami, it started to click. His shots started to fall, call it what you will. He really did a great job talking to the young guys and, and having been around championship players, they, they were willing to listen. I think that's one of the things I love about this group is mm -hmm. they are willing to take coaching, take advice, listen to, to other people that have been there. They're all the same kind of cut where they, they have this desire to be great and they're, they're willing to do anything to do it. The best case I could give you is you know, when Dylan Brooks went through a shooting slump, he basically text one of the coaches and said, Hey, when we land, even though I know we don't have a guarantee, I want to go to the gym. Will you go with me yeah. to, to try to figure out what's not clicking And it? That, that to me shows you care about what you're doing. That's you're true. not just in it for a paycheck. You love to play. I mean, whatever it may be, you want to be, you want to be the best. And that's jaws. Got that. Jaron's got that. Brandon's got that. Dylan's got that. And that's, that's what you need because there's a very fine line in this league between guys that are really good and guys that are all-stars and guys that are all-stars and guys that are, you know, possible hall of famers. There's, it's not the gaps, not that much. What's been your favorite Grizzlies memory? Well, for me personally, I, you know, it's, it's tough. The, the favorite memory is, and, and I think a lot of people would agree with this is, is watching Shane. It literally happened 10 feet in front of me in San Antonio when Shane Battier hit the three in game one on 
against the Spurs and we won our first playoff game because we had been there before and it was it was amazing. Was that the eight one series? Yeah, that was a one eight. Yeah, yeah, that was the yeah. year at the end of the year. Lionel Hollins and he had two games left on the road and we yeah. were in Portland and it was kind of up in the air who was going to be six, seven and eight. And we sat Tony Allen and Zach Randolph in the final two games because they, they had some nagging injuries and we just said we'd rather have you healthy for the playoffs. Yeah. And so um, he took a lot of heat from that from Portland media because I think they ended up drawing the Lakers in the first <laughs> round. They're like, oh, well, good luck with the Spurs. And it wasn't that we wanted the Spurs. We wanted to be healthy. But when Shane hit that shot, it was, you know, a lot of years of frustration just kind of went away. And then the way Zach played in that series, going to the conference finals was amazing. They, you know, people can say they wouldn't have done it if Russell Westbrook had not been hurt earlier in the playoffs by uh, Patrick Beverly. Um, watching that core four was an incredible memory for me personally. Um, before Don passed away, he left, um, for a weekend to go watch one of his daughters graduate from college. And so I got to call a game in Miami and then a game at home against Detroit. And that first NBA game for me doing play by play was, I'll never forget it. And it was in Miami and it was it's something that'll stay with me. And then the, the next night doing Detroit. And then I, I talked to people that listened to it and they said, you, you can do this. This is, this is definitely you overall memories. I think my friendship with Dave Yeager was one that I'll, I still, we still talk to this day. And I watched him come up as a young assistant and knew how smart he was and would constantly remind him that he was going to be a head coach one day. Cause there would be times just like anybody else when you're, when your dreams right in front of you and you have to wait, it's hard. So we had a lot of really good conversations and, you know, I consider him a very, very close friend. So, but, and the other thing is that we are blessed here yeah. in Memphis as, as broadcasters, not only because we have a fan base that cares as much, but Pete, Brevin, Rob, myself, Elliot, Michael Wallace, and Hank McDowell, when he was with us, we all got along, we get along great. We're like a family. We call it our second family. It's our October to, to May family. And then when May comes, we kind of disperse and don't really see each other as much now that uh, Rob and Rob's daughter and my son are about the same age, and our PR director, Jason Wallace's son, uh, oldest son, is about their age. We spend a little more time together because our kids will get together and we'll yeah, all hang out. Yeah. But just the other day, you know, when they opened the golf courses, Pete, Brevin, Hank, and I went and played around a golf, and it's just we don't miss a beat. And I, I see other teams, and they don't always have that camaraderie. Um, yeah. In fact, a lot of times they don't. A lot of times they, they, there's jealousy or whatever you want to call it. People want other things. I don't, I don't understand it. Um, there's none of that with us. Like I, I don't. I don't want Pete's job. Pete doesn't want my job where I'm not jealous of TV guys because I'm on radio They're vice versa. We, we get along great. We re we help each other out. We've been there through some tough moments in all of our, all of each other's lives, you know, passing away of parents or relatives, or, you know, we've also been there for joyous ones of marriages and births of children. We've, we've all grown up together. This, this group has now been together for about 13 years. And, um, I'd venture to say, I don't, I don't see it changing anytime soon. And, you know, if I can walk away from this one day and say, Hey, I, I worked for the same team for 30 years. And I worked with the same guys for 25 of those 30 years, for the most part, all 30 of them, we, everybody was similar. That's pretty special. So yeah, those, those yeah. are my favorite things really. And, and then the way the city is taken to the NBA compared to when we first got here, there's never a doubt that the Tigers are King here. Here. they're they're just it's the university it's what people have grown up on and i i love that because my son's a tiger fan i take him to tiger games but yeah, a lot of those fans that were very skeptical about what the nba would bring have now become diehard grizzly fans and we, we start to see more and more of them around the country now 
because people don't always stay in, in one city. So I think that's, that's also one of the things that I love the most is now going to other arenas and seeing we have a, we have a pretty good fan base around the country. That is true. Eric, thank you for joining us on this episode. We really appreciate you coming on. Anytime guys, stay safe and uh, hopefully we'll be calling basketball real soon. And is there anything you'd like to say to our listeners? Appreciate that. Yeah. I hope all of you out there are staying safe and, uh, and, and really, uh, are getting through what's been a, a trying time, I'm sure, for some people, you know, economically, but for everybody, I think mentally, and just, you know, stay the course. We'll get through this. It's it's hard to believe it's been two months, but uh, know that all of us with the Grizzlies are, are itching to get back out there and give all of us a little uh, release from the day-to-day stresses of this, but uh, do your part and, and, you know, stay as healthy as you possibly can, and, and right. let's not try to push this back too quickly because uh, once it's gone, we want it in our rearview mirrors, and we want to go back to as, as much of a normal life as we possibly can. So go Grizz, and uh, we'll see everybody soon, hopefully. I'm Robert Roden. I'm Raymond Johnson. Love you guys. Peace. Don't forget to join us next time. On the prowl with the boys, yeah we swoop, yeah we swoop, and we got them high blocks, and we'll shoot, and we'll shoot with the Mercedes Benz in the coop, in the coop, and this shit so fucking hard, it's on loop, it's on loop.